I'll tell you what, the, um, the older I get um, and the older my kids get, the faster time seems to go. And, uh, you know, every time I've seen that video, it's just like, man, I, I don't want to miss any of the phases of my kids' development. And when series like this come along, um, you just need to know I'm teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm teaching me through a series like this is I want to show you a, um, a picture of my family. Um, this is my family on uh, Christmas Day. And uh, interesting about this picture, um, we went and took this. All the guys, so we're connected to a church up in Michigan that has seven campuses up in the Michigan area. Christmas Day, all the guys started sending pictures out the windows of their homes on Christmas Day up in Michigan. And it was like four inches of snow, six inches of snow, trees covered in snow, and then in Traverse City, like feet of snow. And so I said to my family, guys, we got to go outside and take a picture. And we go outside and take that. And we, I send it to all of them in the midst of all those others. And like what they sent back, I was like, are you guys even Christians? It was crazy. They didn't like me very much with me sending my picture. But let me just tell you a little bit about uh, who this is. So I'm uh, the good looking guy in the middle, very muscular, uh, like a Roman god. He's in the middle. Uh, that's me. Um, if you go to, to my, uh, my left, your right, that's my wife, Melissa. Um, and then on the, on the far left, that's my son, Garrett. He's 15. My son, Travis, he just turned 14 yesterday. My daughter, Savannah, she's 11. And Avery making the face is 9. And she does that when cameras come out for some reason. Um, but but uh, here's the interesting thing. I, I did a scientific survey of our life uh, over the last um, probably month or so. And this is what I found, kind of roughly calculated it. Between our four kids, between Melissa and I, we actually um, per day answer between 500 and 4 million questions a day um, in our household. And I'm telling you from the moment they get up to the, to the moment they go to bed, it is question after question after question. And a third of those questions are questions that we've already answered, but they're asking again because they want us to change our minds. I know if you're a parent, you haven't uh, dealt with that. We deal with that in our family. But it is a, it's a crazy time of life. But I want to point out something that so many of us forget when it comes to parenting. And it's this. Um, I can remember leaving the hospital with Garrett almost 16 years ago. He's going to be driving in, in four months. God help all of us. Um, but it, it's uh, when we brought him home, I remember thinking when we were walking out of the hospital going, wait, wait a minute. There's no instructions. Like we just leave. Just go, see you later, you're signed out. That's kind of how it was. And we put him in the car, we get home, and I take Garrett and I put him in his crib. And, and I just remember looking at him and going, now what? Like, what do we do now? We look at him and we coo over him, but it's like, where's the instruction manual? And it's something that we regularly forget, but here's what you need to know. There is a manual when it comes to parenting. It's called the Bible. A lot of us don't realize that this is a, a manual on how to raise the next generation. It's a survival guide for parenting. This book is so rich in parenting wisdom and principles and truth. Yet so few of us actually spend time in this survival guide and instruction manual for parenting. See, a lot of us, what we do is we do our life um, very horizontally. In our own strength to other people. We get the best wisdom that other people have for us and we care about what other people think so much that we, we want to be like them. So we do a lot of horizontal living in this series and what this book really teaches us to do is that you can live horizontally your whole life and it's a grind and it's difficult because you're doing everything in your own strength. Or you can go vertical and connect to your Heavenly Father. 
And your heavenly Father can give you the strength and the steps and the wisdom to understand what's in this book and give you the parenting guide, the, the survival guide to parenting and walk you through the steps of raising your kids. And that really is why we do series like this is because, man, I need reminders of what's in this book so that I can parent my kids with God's strength so that I can go vertical in my parenting and make sure that I'm not just doing this to my kids, I'm doing this with God and then we're in, I'm interacting horizontally with them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what this whole series is really designed is to get us going vertical so that when we go horizontal and do our parenting and our impacting kids that might not be ours but we have influence over, we're doing so being led by God. So let me pray for us along those lines before we jump into the rest of the day. Um, Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you um, for uh, just giving us your word and your, your survival guide for parenting, your instruction manual for life. Lord, I pray I pray, God, that you would speak to every one of us in the room, um, those of us who don't have kids yet but want them, maybe some of us desperately. And uh, God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts exactly what we need to hear today. God, those of us in the thick of parenting, whether our kid is a day old or, 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 or 18 years old, they're still in our home. I pray for those of us that have kids in our home right now, God, that you would speak to us today and that you would allow us to hear your voice in a new and, and fresh way. And Lord, I pray for the parents in here whose kids are out of the house. They've graduated. They're, they're empty nesters or they're even grandparents. God, would you speak to the grandparents in the room and the empty nesters in the room in, all, in a way that only you can and share with us what you want us to know about this incredibly important part of our lives and that is training up and raising up the next generation. We love you, God, and thank you for this morning. Um, well, last week I, I shared a quote uh, that is just my uh, mission for parenting. And, and I don't want to assume that everyone in the room is a Christian because I know that not everyone's a follower of Jesus. Some of you are just checking out the God thing right now or wanting to know if maybe Jesus has some answers for some of the stuff you're struggling with in your life. And let me just say this, even if that's where you're coming from, we're coming from raising kids God's ways, way perspective. And so the principles we're talking about literally because God is the author of life, they're, tra they're, they're transferable to, to whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. A lot of what we're going to talk about is applicable to life. So check in, tune in, because I want you to hear from God his instruction manual about how to parent your kids. And then for those of us that are followers of Jesus, you've chosen, you've crossed the line of faith. There's a quote from Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta, that has really um, brought mission uh, to my parenting, a new sense of mission. And it's this, where he just says, your greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something you do, but it may be someone you raise. I love that quote. Because so often we're looking at how do we, how do we, how do we, and sometimes it might be the next generation that you're raising or impacting or influencing right now. They're going to have 10 times the impact, 20 times the impact. I, pay that, I pray that for my kids. I pray that, that, that my little impact I have on this planet during my lifetime for God's kingdom, I pray that my kids' impact would eclipse mine, that it wouldn't even be a comparison. I'll just tell you, one of the most important things we will do as a community is raise the next generation, which is why you need to make sure you're not doing this alone. That's why we're doing series like this. God never intended you as a family to raise your kids alone. And I'll just tell you how we think in our Western culture. When I say family, you think very small. We think dad, mom, um, or single parent and kids. That's when I say family, that's where you think, well, my family. Well, what's interesting, when you get into Scripture, the way that Scripture was written 
It was like family, community, anyone that has impact with the children in that, in that family system. It's like mom, dad, aunts, uncles, grandparents, um, uh, workers in the house, um, employees of the family business, everyone that impacts kids, that's who it's being written to. Because God didn't intend us to raise our kids alone. We want to combine influences. In other words, the influence of the church and the influence of the home. We want to combine influences and work together to raise kids. And so we said last week as parents in the church, this is our mission. It is to train and release identity-based, Christ-centered, Bible-GPS world changers. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go to our website, kensingtonorlando.org. It's a new website. Go up there and hit watch or listen at the top bar, and you can watch or listen to last week's message and catch up. But this week, where we're going is we're going to talk about time. We're going to talk about time, and because of that, I need to come over here, and I brought a couple of props today, um, so hopefully you'll bear with me. But um, one of the props that I brought is this clock, because we're going to be talking about time. And time is an is a interesting thing. It's kind of a paradox. It's a logical puzzle, but it seems to contradict, our, to contradict itself. And see, on one, one hand, time is very concrete. It's chronos. We get that or chronological from the Greek word chronos. And chronological means time is, is just sequential. You look at your watch, you look at your clock, and it's, it's doing something. It is continually moving this way. It never stops. You cannot get back the second that just passed. You cannot ever get it back because it's very concrete. It's chronological. It's locked in time. But it's also relative. Time is also relative. Do you remember sitting in math class in sixth grade as your last class of the day? Do you remember how time moved when you were in that stage of life? Like time moved this way, didn't it? It seemed like, oh my gosh, this class is never going to be over because time is relative. It feels differently. Now, how many of you are older in your life and you're, you've lived long enough to know that when you get older, what does time do? Time does this. It's like flying by. It's like it, it, I'm 44 years old and it feels like I am blinking now in years of my life or just kind of passing by. It's been really this interesting journey as I age and as I get older and my kids grow up. So time is concrete. It's also relative. Steve Andrews, he's the founder of Kensington 20-something uh, 20 years ago back in the 90s. He's in his 60s now and this is how he describes it. He says, he says when I was young, an hour felt like a day. A day felt like a week, a week felt like a month, and a month felt like a year. And he said, now that I'm older, a year feels like a month. A month feels like a week, a week feels like a day, and a day feels like an hour. And so when you start getting into the subject of time, we've got to start looking at, well, how do you and I spend our time? And I want to, I want to give you an illustration to kind of bring up how we spend our time. How if we take our life and we lay it out uh, linearly, how does it break down? And so I need a couple of volunteers to come up and hold a rope for me. Um, or I won't do anything to you. Um, but if, if I got to have two people come up to the stage, I need them up here in just a minute. I don't want to call on anybody. So can I just have a couple of just really awesome people that love Jesus a lot? Oh, see, you love Jesus a ton. Thank you for coming up here. Excellent. And I want to do, I want to do this. I want you, um, I'll give you this end of the rope. I want you to walk down that way. And then I'm going to give you this end. All right. You guys can just, I want you to come here and stretch it out right here at the beginning of the stage and uh, stretch it out straight. So go on back a little bit, back a little bit. Okay. So, and I want you to hold it at the very end, as far to the end as you can. Now, here's what you need to know about this rope up here. This rope really represents your entire life. Um, there are 80 pieces of tape on this rope. Because the average for an American, you're going to live about 79 years on average if you make it all the way to the end of your life. Um, 79 years on average. But we're going to say this. We're going to go, hey, 
you are super healthy, you work out all the time, and you eat great. So I gave you 80 years, okay? I really bumped it up. 80 years here, but this represents your life. And now when you start looking at the entirety of our life, it gets really interesting how time goes by. And so here's what scientists tell us. Scientists tell us that you're going to spend 25 years, okay, from there all the way to here of your life, of your lifetime, 80 years, you're going to spend 25 of those years sleeping. 25 years sleeping, seven to eight hours a night over 80 years. You're going to spend 25 years of your life sleeping. So we're going to just cut those off because those are times that we don't get back and we're not really doing anything, but we're, we're, uh, we're sleeping. So you can come on up, you can drop that and come on up here. Now, here's something, another thing that's really interesting about that. 25 years of our life are gone. Well, you go another 28 years all the way down to here, and guess what we're finding? That this is actually how much time you and I will spend in our lifetime, especially this young generation, looking at a screen. 28 years of our life, 10 hours a day is now the average for looking at a device or a screen of some sort that we're going to spend looking at a screen. So you take 28 years and you cut off those 28 years because we're focused and our heads down and we're buried in some type of device. So I'm going I'm to cut this off. This is kind of hard work. All right, so I'm going to bring you over here and you can slide over there and I want you guys to just, there you go, perfect. So here, here's what's left. You know what, you, know what you have? You have 17 years, uh, you, have, you have 17 or 27 years left after this. You have 27 years left of your life. Now, if you're blessed to work, you have a job, um, studies say, I found out yesterday, nearly 85% of people are going to have to work their entire life um, to, to make ends meet. And if you include a full-time mom's job, which you should because it's the right thing to do um, because it is a full-time job. It's a more than full-time job. Most studies say conservatively that you will spend a quarter of your life at work, which is, is going to be uh, 20 years of your life you're going to spend at work. But this is what I did. I took it down to 10 because I want to overlap the amount of time you're going to spend on a screen with the amount of time at work with the amount of time you spend on a screen in your everyday life. Because some of us, we have jobs like me, I'm looking at a screen most of the day. So I'm going to take 10 years off of the 20 years that you and I are going to work, and I'm going to take that off of our usable time. There's another 10 years gone from working all the time. So there we go. We're going to drop that. And then you guys are free to go. I can handle the rest of this. Thank you so much. Let's give these guys a hand. They did a great job. Now, let's keep working on this because this is, uh, you know, when you look at the whole of your life, this is what's left after you take out things that we have to do in the way our life breaks down. Well, then you get down to here, and here's another four years of your life that you're going to spend in transit. You're going to be planes, trains, and automobiles, driving in cars, flying on planes, riding in trains, and using transportation to get to and from everywhere you go. They say in the average lifetime, you're going you're gonna to be able to travel enough distance to go to the moon and back three times. That's how much distance you're going to travel. It's going to take four years of your life to do that. But this is what we're going to do because we're talking about using our life to invest in relationships and in the next generation. Rather than cut off four years, I cut it down to two because we're going to say that half of the time you're transiting somewhere, you're actually using that time um, to, to it, spend quality time with other people. So you're only spending half of that time in isolation by yourself. So we have to remove that as potential time for you to actually use to impact the next generation. Now, you go another um, four years of your life, you're going to spend eating, okay? That's what you're going to do. Over 80 years, you're going to spend four years of your life eating food and uh, making food. But I cut it down to two because basically what, what, we're, what I'm looking at here is half of the time when you're eating, you're actually going to be spending time with somebody else. You're not going to be eating in isolation. So we're going to say two of the four years are actually invested in other people. But two of those years, you're just by yourself eating. 
Okay, so we're going to cut those off there. We're running out of time to really invest. But there's another four years we got to talk about. Um, this is what the scientists say and the people that study this say. They say you're going to spend four years in the bathroom of your life. In your life, you're going to spend four years in the bathroom. Now, that's going to the bathroom. It might be five years if you bring a device in there with you. You know what I'm talking about? Um, because you're in there longer. Um, but there's four years of your life. You're in the bathroom getting ready, preparing, showering, going to the restroom, doing all the stuff that you need to do is another four years of your life that you're, you're not really investing in anybody, um, hopefully there uh, while you're doing that kind of stuff. So we're going to go there. Um, so we're running out of time. It's getting less and less. And let me get this little part over here. Okay, this, that's your, uh, there's your sex life. Okay, there we go. Um, we're going to move on. Yeah, it's important stuff, right? It's important. We've got to do that stuff. Um, and, then, and then lastly, um, you kind of get to uh, this 11 months. There's 11 months left. And this 11 months here is the amount of time that the average um, uh, fam person invests in their faith in their lifetime. They invest about 11 months of their time into growing spiritually and spending time with God. Focus on the Family says the American Christian spends about 12 minutes a day reading the Bible or praying. That's it. It's about seven months of time over 78 years, um, and those of you that attend church add to that, and so we kind of bumped it up to 11 months, because you add eight minutes a day for all your church time that you go, where actually the average church-going church family goes around 40 times a year, it's between 30 and 40, and it's actually trending downward. And so we're going to say, you're going to spend um, 11 months of your life investing spiritually um, and spending time with God and investing into your family out of all the, the years that you have in your life. And then we get down to once you get rid of all the routine things we do in life that we have to do, that we have on our plate, um, you end up with eight years left. That's it. You have eight years of your life to do all the other stuff you have to do. This includes um, grocery shopping, home maintenance, sports, fitness, cleaning house, hobbies, errands, entertainment, um, education, paying bills, appointments, whatever else you pack in there to make, uh, make your life happen outside of your family time is eaten up during these eight years. And so here's the interesting thing about talking through what little time we have in life to invest in some of the people that need us the most. William Penn wrote this. He said, time is what we want most but what we use worst. It's what we want the most of. And it always seems like it's, we're running out of it, but we use it the worst. And there's a reason why, because we treat time as an unlimited resource at times, when really it's actually very limited. And it's not only limited, we don't know how much time we have left. And I'll just tell you, James 4.14, James reminds us, he says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. And I just want to take a moment here because we need to kind of bring the room down for a minute. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. What happened this last week in Florida with 17 people losing their lives in a school. Then you go the week before that with a kid that's 14, 15 years old, I believe, running into a dock on a jet ski and losing his life. This verse that James is teaching us is how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. See, we treat time like it's this unending commodity when really Scripture reminds us constantly. You don't know how much time you have left, so use it wisely. And I thought it would just be appropriate right here to just stop our service and pray. 
pray for those families that are just devastated right now. Lord, every time something like this happens in our country, we question, why does this stuff happen? Why does it keep happening? And we point to all kinds of reasons, but at the end of the day, there is just evil in this world. And sometimes, God, it just feels like there's nothing we can do to stop it. What I love about your scripture, God, is you just tell us that when our times are at their worst, you join us in those times. And so, God, I pray for the families that are hurting right now that just had their entire world turned upside down. Lord, right now, would you just comfort them as only you can? You know their worries, their hurts, their fears. You know the devastation that's going on deep in their hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around them and let them know that you love them and that you care. And that you still have plans for their lives to go on, to be used for significant purposes that you have dreamed up for them, even though they don't understand how they could move forward from here. So, God, I pray for peace. I pray for love. I pray for the communities around those families to rise up and bring your hope in times of devastation like only you can. And God, we as the church will continue to pray on their behalf that you would do what only you can do, and that is comfort the brokenhearted. In your holy name, amen. Well, I'll tell you, as we look at the eight years we have to invest, one of the questions that we need to ask is, okay, if that's all we have, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? How do we use what's left to impact our kids? And I want to just give you a way of thinking, and it's this. It's the best way to shape a child's character and faith is through small, consistent deposits. How do you spend those extra eight years? It's small, consistent deposits with the kids that you are in uh, relationship with, that you have influence in. And so what I want to do is I want to take the 936 weeks from birth to graduation. Um, that's how much time you have if you're a parent or if you're, if you're a teacher. Um, and you're in those 936 weeks. You have 936 weeks. In those 936 weeks, you have four phases that we go through as we develop. And I want to walk through all four phases because the needs of each child in those four phases are different. So take notes on this if you can, if you're a parent, um, because there's some stuff in here that I believe that I needed to hear and that we need to hear but the very first phase, zero to five years old, is the embrace phase. The embrace phase, zero to five years old. In this phase, you're at, you're, you're, your child is basically asking the basic questions. Am I loved and am I safe? That is the main thing on their, their mind. They're motivated by safety and they're desperate for their physical needs to be met. That's why they climb all over you like you're a jungle gym, right? They have physical needs that need to be met. Their minds, they're acting kind of as an artist and they're taking in all the beauty and the protection that the world has to offer of their world. And what's vital during this stage of parenting is that parents embrace their physical needs as they develop their mind and body. You have to embrace those physical needs. You need to help your child develop a sense of security and confidence. Confidence that you're going to be there, that you love them, that they are loved and that they are safe. That is what their needs are. Now the second phase of parenting our kids go through is K through 5th grade. It's called the engage phase. The engage phase. They're going to move into the engaged phase, and during this phase, your child needs to, it starts to seek out your attention. 
They really want you to look and, and ensure that you're engaged in what interests them. They want to drag you into everything they're doing. They're wrestling with the question, do I have what it takes? And from, from K through fifth grade, like from five to ten years old, do I have what it takes? Their brains are starting to look at the world like scientists and they're starting to analyze everything they've learned. Well, as parents, what our role is, I have one in this phase, our role is to engage their interest and help them discover new things. You need to appeal to your child's curiosity and broaden their knowledge and abilities. And I'll just tell you, with our eight-year-old who just turned nine this year, um, over the last year, we've really helped her do new things and, and try new things. Um, we had Disney tickets that just expired um, last month. And uh, over the whole course of the year, um, she would not ride rides. We tried getting her on rides at the beginning of the year. She's eight years old. And she was a train wreck. Like, it was no fun. She would scream, holler. None of it was good. She would bury her head. And it was zero fun for anybody that rode next to Avery on any ride. So very shortly in, we stopped taking her on rides. Like we literally, we would walk through, she would walk through, wait for all of us, or we'd have somebody have to sit out because she was too afraid to ride anything, anything that moved. She was like, no, and she's eight. And we would watch these other little kids go on the ride, and we're like, look, there's a four-year-old, and she's riding. Do you want to ride? No, you know, it's just a big deal. Well, over the course of the year, through our family just encouraging and trying to help her get to do new things, it was really awesome because about, about uh, four or five months ago, we actually talked her into and got her to stay on the ride Soren. Anybody ride Soren? Like, it's a, it's a simple ride. Two times we got on it, and as soon as we strapped up, here comes the tears, and she starts freaking, I don't want to ride, I don't want to ride. I don't, we would have to get up. One of us would have to get up and walk out with her. After getting stra strapped on the ride, we would keep the whole ride sitting there while they got her unstrapped. So we went through that a couple times, no more. Well, we finally talked her into it. Super nervous. She was super scared. She was right between Melissa and I. We finally got up and we started flying and she was actually looking out this time. And about halfway through, she's just like, this is fun. And we're like, we've been telling you that for eight months. We didn't say that. We're like, we've been telling you that. And so she rolled the whole ride. We got down. We were done. And she's like, when can we ride it again? When can we ride it again? Can we go get in line right now? And it was super awesome. So we moved from there to, to uh, 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 what was it, uh, the, the one over there in Pandora. Um, fan, what is it? Uh, yeah, right, a flight of passage. We rode that. She was so freaked out the first time. She actually knocked my 3D glasses off the first time we rode it. She was freaking out so bad. But she made it through, and she rode that afterwards. It was so cool to watch our family just encourage her, Avery, way to go. You did it. And then we talked her into primeval whirl, okay? We rode that ride, and that's like a spinny ride. Not too bad. She rode that, and as soon as we got off, she said, like, when can we go again? Can we go get in line? And then the very last day we went, we wanted to go for a big one, and we just told her, Avery, our tickets run out. We will never do this again your rest of your life, okay? Okay, so no, we didn't say that. But anyways, we got her to ride Test Track. And so she got on Test Track. As soon as the gates opened and we flew out of the building and went around the track, she is giggling and having a ball and all she wants to do is ride it again. But what was super cool about this phase is watching our whole family come along. And every time after she rode it, she goes, Avery, did you like it? She's like, that was awesome. And our, just to watch our family go, you did it. You can do this. That was so fun to have you on our ride and just cheer her along, helping her in this phase of, of, of uh, the, the whole engage phase, engaging her interest and helping her experience new things. So it was, um, it was super fun. Um, the, the, the next phase uh, is sixth through eighth grade is the affirm phase, the affirm phase. And this is the phase that many of us wish we could just bury our head in our sand and not remember our element, middle school years. I don't know if you had a bad junior high experience. A lot of people in youth ministry, I did that for 15 years. I can't tell you how many people came to serve with me. And I'm like, well, why do you want to serve? And they're like, because I'm telling you, my junior high years were hell on earth. And I want to help these kids get through it. And I'm like, Come on, let's help these kids have fun, you know. But what do they need between 6th and 8th grade? They need to be affirmed. 
We need to press into them and affirm uh, this phase in a huge way because their identity is beginning to take shape. So we need to affirm what we see in them. They start asking questions like, am I liked? Am I, uh, who am I? Their identity is forming and they're taking, care, they're taking in the world like an engineer. That's kind of how they think. They're, 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 uh, they're, they're tar- starting to invent themselves and kind of become who they're going to become. And so our job as parents is to affirm the journey. We just affirm the journey that they're on. We help them navigate a really complicated life because it's complicated in junior high with the body changes and what's going on. Um, You know, even in society and in our culture, um, they're really wrestling with all that stuff. So they need affirmation. Um, And so here's the key. If you have a child in the sixth to eighth grade, it's don't bury your head in the sand and just wait for this phase to be over. Show up consistently and give your kids stability as they navigate the changes that are happening to their body, to who they are, and around them. And then you get to the last phase, and that's the mobilized phase, grades 9 through 12. And in the mobilized phase, it's the first time they start pushing away from the family, and it's really difficult, right? I mean, it's like, I'm just telling you, uh, with a 15-year-old about to be 16-year-old, it's difficult as they start pulling away and pushing away from the family. It's like, even for me, uh, you know, I've said this before, when we had, before we had kids, I was like, I was a tough guy, parent. I'm like, man, my kids, when they turn 18, I'm kicking them out of the house, and they're going to go grow up, just like I did, you know? And, and that was my take. And then I, I now have a 15-year-old, and I'm looking at going, man, there's only two years left of high school. And part of me just like, no, go, please. Like, can you fail a grade? I mean, I don't want him to fail a grade. But it's like, I just want to, I want to give me another year. I don't want him to go anywhere. But as he's pushing away, it's difficult. But here's what you do during this phase. They're starting to ask questions about belonging. And they're starting to ask questions about faith. And I'll just tell you, they're, they're wrestling with their own identities. Who are they outside of the family? As parents, it's our job to mobilize their potential. We need to dream with them. We need, to, we need to challenge them and encourage them to step into their own potential because at this phase, we can see their potential. Oftentimes, they can't. They need us to help bring that out of them. So what do we do? We guide their values and their passions as they launch into new realities, into an adult world. And I'll just tell you, just as, as a parent of, I got three of these in my house right now, it's really hard parenting. <laughs> Like, I, we're not a perfect family, and I don't want to stand up here and pretend we are. In fact, just yesterday, I had to look at one of my kids and just apologize and say, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Because I just blew it as a dad, as a, as a parent. I, I, I blew it with him. And I just, last night, said, will you please forgive me? I did not mean to do that. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to step on you like that. Now, why, um, why do the rope thing? Why talk about our kids and what they need in each phase? Um, it's because I want to live out Scripture. And in Scripture, I want to read a real quick passage to you um, where Moses is speaking. And he's speaking to the Israelites and he's speaking to God. And in it, he talks about generations. And the first thing he says in context of submission to God, he says in Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And I love what Moses is starting with. He's just like, hey, throughout my life, you've been my dwelling place. And here's what I want to say. I know that not everybody's a Christian, but for however long you've been following Jesus, that's what you say here. Lord, since then, you've been our dwelling place. And what are you saying? In the moments where Israel's been faithful to God, you've been our dwelling place. In the moments where we turned are back on you, 
You were still our dwelling place. Even when things were good and even when things were bad, you were still where home was. And then he begins to recount the ups and downs over the next 11 verses. And he says, we followed you here and we were blessed. We walked away from you here and we were cursed. We blew it here. We had success here. And he just walks through the history of the nation of Israel and how even through all of it, God was still their dwelling place throughout all generations. And then he gets to verse 12 in Psalm 90. And he's speaking to God about them. And he says, first off, God, teach us. Teach us. And what I love is what is he highlighting in those two words? Just a moment of submission where Moses is saying, I'm the student. You're the teacher. He's coming to God open-handedly and saying, I don't know everything you do. I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to do, but you know how to do that. And he just approaches God open-handed, which is what we're talking about all the time here. We're just saying, you can't do your life on your own. You can try. You can give it a whirl. You can, you can use all the willpower you have, and you will still fail as long as you're doing it in your own power. But when you come to God and you say, teach me, when we come to God and we say, teach us, when we connect vertically, God all of a sudden begins to teach us and give us what we can't have on our own. How does Moses start with submission to Jesus? He's submission to God. He's like, God, teach us. You've been our dwelling place forever. Teach us. And then he says in verse 12, the next little part, he says, teach us to number our days. Why do we do that whole rope thing? Teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize that you have a finite amount of time, and in fact, you really don't even know how much time you have. So make the most of the time that you have. It's like what Stephen Covey says. He's like, begin with the end in mind. Teach us to say, see that no phase, no season lasts forever. I'm telling you, with parenting, you have only have so much time to build in, to pour in during that phase before that phase is over, and then your kids need something else. But parenting is this gift of stewardship that lasts a season. We never stop being a parent our entire lives. But the largest part of our responsibility happens between 0 and 18 years old. So don't waste that time. Engage that time. And then Moses wraps up with this short principle with the payoff. If you, if you approach God with your hands open, say, teach us to number our days so that, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now just let that sink in a minute. Approaching God and going, God, I submit to you. Teach me. You know more than I do. Help me to number my days so that I focus in and make the most of the time that I have. So that I can have a heart of wisdom. Isn't that your hope every day as a parent? I mean, I was praying that last night. God, just give me wisdom. What do I say? How do I go about doing this? God, help me see more clearly what I should do. Help me navigate the sophomore year of my kid with clarity. Help me, help me navigate this circumstance with clarity. Help me know what to do with my middle schooler because I'm confused. Help me not miss a moment to my, that my kids where they're asking me to do something that's important to their development. Help me make the most of the time that I have left. The posture of parenting needs to be this to God. And begins with the understanding this, when you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. See, we don't look at our watch to see how much time, what time it is very often. We usually look at our watch to see how much time we have left, right? We're in a meeting, and you know how much time I have left till the end of this meeting. How much time till bedtime? How much time till the movie starts? How much time, how much time, how much time? That's how we're supposed to view parenting. How much time do we have left? And when you see how much time you have left, you know what you tend to do? You tend to pace yourself a little differently. You narrow your focus. You guard your margins. You value that quality interaction because it matters more. And you do more of what's important. And so I want to I show you a tool. 
for how to do this um, over the next couple of minutes. But before I do, we're going to receive our offering. And so, uh, ushers, you guys can go ahead and come forward. For those of you that are here visiting, let the basket go by. Not interested in your money. We're just grateful that you're here. This service is a gift to you. For those that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. Now, I want to show you something that is free to you that I want to tell you you need to go on your phone and get. It's called the Parent Q app, and I'm going to show you why I think you should go get it on your phone. Um, but if you go to our website, kensingtonorlando.org kids, there's a free app that helps you do exactly what we're talking about right now, and that is make the most of the time that you have. And I want to show you how this works. So I'm going to open up my app, and I'm going to read to you from it once it gets going here. Um, but you can do this right now. I want you to still pay attention. But if you don't mind, um, I'm, I want to just spend a little bit of time reading what this does because this is a way for you to engage your kids or kids that you're influential over um, and lead them toward God. And so I'm going to do one that's little. I don't have a kid like this at home. But uh, the app, I'll show it to you here. It says, it's, uh, I, I named this kid Test, okay? Bad on me, okay? Should have named, like, this is, uh, this is little Johnny. Um, but it says there's 728s until graduation, 728 weeks until graduation. Here's the thing we want to talk about today is don't invest daily. Try and invest weekly. Um, and so as you scroll up, there's a video to watch with your four-year-old. Um, and then there's a verse for them to remember, love each other as I have loved you, John 15, 12. And then it gives you something to say. Who does Jesus love? What, what's the answer? Jesus loves everyone. You can teach a four-year-old right here, every, this is one week. And then it gives you some, some, something to do with them, and it's called cuddle time. It's called cuddle time. This is weekly. Cuddle up with your child this month and pray, dear God, we want to love everyone the way Jesus loves everyone. Please help test and me to love others no matter what. Just like Jesus loves everyone. And then it says it's just a phase. And it talks about the phase your kid's in because we forget sometimes. Your child is learning the difference between a mistake and a bad choice. Choices are when you know what is right or wrong and choose the wrong thing. Mistakes happen when you, choose, when you don't know the best choice. And then it says you have 28 weeks, 728 weeks left. Don't miss it. And then I want to read to you what it says about my little girl, Avery. And as I read these, I want you to just see how this guides us in doing what I've been talking about. If you put Avery's up there, she has 492 weeks until graduation, and she is 485 weeks old, right? Like that, she's, she's really old. Um, but, uh, but, but, but it's like she, so we're about halfway done with her. And then when you scroll down, there's a video to watch called The Least of These on Matthew 25. And then it says, remember this, Avery, do to others as you want them to do to you. Luke 6.31, talk about scripture. And then say this, we can say this to our kids, be kind to people who are overlooked. Avery, you know those kids in school that don't have anyone that's talking to them and they're off in the corner of the cafeteria? Go say hi to them, love them because they're overlooked right now. You can actually teach them scripture. And then it says, during drive time, do this, share the kindness. Have each person in the car take turns talking about how another person in the car showed them kindness that week or month. Expand even further and talk about what you might have seen someone at school do that showed kindness to another person and encourage one another to spread kindness wherever they are. And then it goes to this last one where it says it's just a face. And uh, you go ahead and put that one up there. It says, as far as, as far as your kid is concerned right now, boys or girls have cooties. I love that, right? It's just reminding you where they're at. Most third graders prefer same-gender friends over fraternizing with the enemy. I love that. That's where your kid's at right now. And then it says you have 492 weeks left. Don't miss it. Let's go to Savannah. What does Savannah have? 388 weeks until graduation. 
She's 581 weeks old, and this is what it says. Uh, it gives you a video to watch, and then some of the middle stuff is the same because they're in the same age range, third and fifth grade. And then when you get to the it's just a phase, this is what it says. It says, as your fifth grader begins to think more logically, expect them to argue their viewpoint more successfully. Don't you hate it when your fifth grader starts beating you in arguments and you're like, I don't know how to answer this, just because I said so. Like, why now is the perfect time to get a new family dog, right? It's just, that's what they do. And then it ends with this. You have 388 weeks left. Don't miss it, man. Every time I get to this part of the page, I'm like, oh, running out of time. Well, let's hit Travis. 232 weeks till he graduates. He's 730 weeks old. And as you scroll down, it's, uh, it says, read this. God wants us to share our burdens with each other. It says, remember this. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And then it says, think about this as a parent. This week, ask your teenager what's currently weighing on them the most. Then ask them how you can help them carry that burden and find a little time to rest this week. And I'll tell you what, I read that this week. I just got this app three days ago and it has rocked my world. You know whose burdens I'm most often consumed with? I read this and I'm like, oh my gosh, my eighth grader has burdens that he's carrying that I don't even know about. Why? Because I haven't asked. And then it gets down to this, it's just a phase. And it says this, because they're more able to think about their future, your eighth grader is likely trying to discover what their purpose will be. They're struggling to know what they can contribute and how they can have significance. You know, that's a burden he's carrying. I don't even realize he's carrying that. Why? Because I'm so consumed with my own. And then it says this, you have 232 weeks left. Don't miss it. And I'll give you one more. It's Garrett, 128 weeks till graduation. He's 830 weeks old. And it's similar. Talking about burdens. And then it says, talk about this. It's easy to... It's easy for students to carry the weight of the, their lives on their own, writing papers, studying for tests, making it a, to practice on time, and never ask for help. This week, ask your teenager what's currently weighing on them the most, then ask them how you can help them carry that burden and find a little time to rest this week. Man, I'm telling you, I've never asked him that. Never. I need help to be a good parent. So I'm just telling you, you need this need this. I need this. And then and it's just a phase, and I'll just finish this because this really struck me. It's likely your 10th grader engages regularly over social media. Continue to put things into perspective for them by having conversations about likes, posts, and online friendships. Engage them in their world. And then at the end, you have 128 weeks left. Don't miss it. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just give you a few application points. And then we're going to sing a song at the end of the day to just kind of cement this. So what do we do? How do we parent our kids? The first thing is, is command the rhythms of your week, but don't allow your week to command your rhythms. Get control of your schedule and make sure you're scheduling time with your kids and your family. The second thing is connect them to things that communicate belonging. Keep traditions in your family. One of our traditions is we do pajama twisty treat runs. Um, twisty treat runs. Uh, we will get everybody in their pajamas, and right before bedtime, we go, okay, everybody in the car, put your pajamas on. Everybody puts their pajamas on, we jump in the car, we go get ice cream at like 8, 8.30 at night. 
It's just one of our traditions. Our kids love that. Of course they love that, right? It's ice cream. It's like bribing their love. Um, Make family outings a regular occurrence. Eat meals together. Most well-adjusted adults look back and say one of the reasons, one of the common denominators is that they all had lunch or dinner together as a family four to five weeks, four to five nights out of the week. Common denominator. Make serving here a priority. Serve with your kid. Serve with your kid here. There's a lot of opportunities to do so. Third, foster fun to build connection. Loosen up. Learn what they like to do. Go do it. Lean into Jesus is the fourth one. Lean into Jesus. You can't do this alone. You need help. Plug in vertically and say, Jesus, give me the right words, the right heart, the right understanding of my kids so that I can parent them and lead them to you. And then lastly, don't miss Sundays. And I will just say this. If you're missing Sundays and your family's missing Sundays, that means your kids are missing an opportunity to have somebody else pour into them. And the opportunity for somebody to lead them in worship and teach them who God is and for them to discuss it with peers. See, it's not just you who misses church when we need it on a weekly basis, but it's your kids. And I'm telling you, that might even be more important for them to be here. So with that, I want to pray for us. And then we're going to close our service. So let's go to Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for today, just the opportunity to talk about parenting. It is so difficult. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, whether they are um, waiting to have kids and longing to have kids. Lord, I just pray that you would um, give them a hopeful heart for when that day comes and help them to remember what we talked about. Father, I pray for those of us right now that are in the thick of parenting and, and we're just, we're up to our eyeballs and stuff to do and things to think through and, and get done. God, I just pray that you would help us this week to begin thinking weekly how we can just um, deposit into our kids' lives exactly what we need to so that they can draw closer to you but also grow up to become uh, men and women who are leaders and world changers. And Lord, I pray for those of us in the room that are grandparents or empty nesters, Jesus. They're, they're, parenting's not done at that stage. Give them unique moments in time to speak to their children, to their sons and daughters, and give them just the right words to say so that they are encouraging and, and, and uh, giving them hope and letting them know how loved they are no matter what's going on in their life. God, help us to do this as a community. Through each phase, God, help us to wrap our arms around you and go vertical and then wrap our arms around the young people that we all have influence over that we might draw them closer to you. In your holy name.